Hello everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in and joining me today. Um, welcome to the podcast for anyone new. Welcome back to anyone returning. For the new people out there, I'm just going to give a quick rundown of how this podcast works. So we have an episode every Monday and Thursday. I've gotten, well, I'm getting a lot more consistent on the Monday and Thursday thing. So Monday is, I pick any topic that I want. Faith, politics, history, science, any sort of topic that I feel like I've really wanted to learn about and I just don't know enough about. I spend the week researching, writing up like an outline, and then I basically do a report on that to all of you guys so we can all learn together. That's on Mondays. Um, And then Thursdays we do a Bible study episode. So I've been doing the Bible in a Year um, program and every week on Thursdays I go over a chunk of that. I summarize it, talk about kind of what I've learned through it. So that has been really, really great. That's going to be ending like the third week of January. And the reason for that is uh, because we're kind of not rushing through the Old Testament, but there's going to end up being two episodes of Bible a week coming up because next year, instead of the Bible study on Thursdays, since that was kind of an addition to my regular podcast anyway, I am doing the history of every state in the order that they were added to the United States. So Delaware is going to be first. I have the report on it all ready to go. I am so excited. I love learning about state history. And so I'm just so excited to be able to go through all of the states sequentially for when they joined the union. So we are going to be starting that like towards the end of January. And then there will be two Bible episodes a week coming up here shortly so we can get to that. So we will finish all the states by December 31st of this year. So that is the rundown of the podcast for anyone new. Again, welcome. Today's topic is going to be the Amish and the Mennonites, what the similarities are, what the differences are, what they believe, all of that kind of thing. And I'll just tell you the backstory about why I want to learn about like the Amish and the Mennonites so badly because I have literally been trying to, I've been wanting to learn about them for so long because you always think of Amish and Mennonite communities in Pennsylvania, at least I did, and it is true, most of them are in that Pennsylvania area, the Pennsylvania Dutch area. That is true. However, every single time I go to Michigan to visit my husband's family, we go to this store and it's like a grocery store, but it's run by Mennonites. And I was very, well, I was fascinated by them, first of all, because all of their products are amazing. Like, it's like a Costco of the Midwest, but just homier and just the prices are great. And they're so nice, like when they are help you out in the grocery store and things like that. So I've always been pretty fascinated by what they believe and how like Mennonites end up in Michigan. So that'll probably be part of like my updated Michigan history episode. But I have been around Mennonites in this Mennonite store for like three times a year for the last three years or so. And it just fascinates me because it seemed to be such a broader range. I also watched Breaking Amish. So from that show, I learned that the Amish seem to be much more strict with their uh rules like no technology the shunning seems to be a little bit more strict but then when i go and visit the mennonite run store it seems like there's a wide variety of dress so 
Mennonites are able to use technology, but it also seems like some Mennonites wear very, very traditional, like almost Amish style dresses, while other Mennonites wear like a head covering, but but um, more contemporary clothes, or some just wear more muted colors, but they're still wearing a dress. So there just seems to be such a wide variety between the Amish and Mennonite, like how all the rules apply and things like that. So I just wanted to get the rundown and be a little bit more educated about this kind of subgroup in our culture that a lot of people I think are not super aware of. I know I was not before this and before I had started visiting Michigan. So let's get into what the Amish and Mennonites believe. So let's start with the Amish because I think that is what most people are more familiar with, especially now that there's shows like Breaking Amish, which did show Mennonites as well. And that's kind of how I had a background of what the Mennonites and Amish, uh, how they differed. Because in that show, one of the Mennonites that they followed that was like breaking out of the Mennonite traditions was driving a car and she explained that like, yes, you are allowed to drive a car if you're Mennonite, but some people believe kind of different things. So let's go to the Amish. So the Amish are a Christian, like an offshoot of the Christian church. They have many of the same tenets as a lot of Christian denominations. And so on paper, not a ton is really different between like non-denominational Christianity and the Amish, at least, at least when they write down like their Christian beliefs on paper it's very, very similar. You know, some of these other uh, offshoots or sects of faith that I've been studying, like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, have pretty drastic differences when it comes to like Jesus or the creation story or major tenets of the Christian faith seem to differ. But for the Amish, it seems to be pretty standardly aligned with non-denominational Christianity. Now, the one thing that they do practice is social shunning. And this is like a little bit um, debated, I guess. A lot of people, some, some, some people don't admit that there is shunning or some communities have kind of done away with shunning, but traditionally Amish communities would shun. And I'm going to, that sounds very, very harsh, but I'm going to read why and the justification for this social shunning. So it says, and I'll link this article below, but it says shunning happens when someone has violated the guidelines for daily living or the church. So what that entails is you eat separately, you don't do business with someone, don't accept gifts or anything of that nature. Like you're basically not socializing with someone if they are living outside of the church rules or um, there's this guidelines for daily living. And so you're not if they're living very far outside of that and they're like unrepentant about it, then you are supposed to socially shun. So it says you can converse and offer assistance, but you're mostly living outside the flock of the group of Amish. And this is specifically for Amish and we'll 
talk about how this differs from Mennonite. But for the Amish, you can converse and offer help because that is how you like bring them back in or make sure that uh, they are let, or what am I trying to say? You are, that's how you're helping them get out of their sin. Whatever can, perceived sin they're living in, you can talk to them and help them and offer the, to help them get out of this sin. But you're not like a part of the daily life of the rest of the Amish. Okay, so it says passages often cited in support of shunning include Matthew 18 um, and 2 Thessalonians 3.14, which says, And if any man obey not your word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. And then 1 Timothy 5 said, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other man's sins. Keep thyself pure. 2 Corinthians 13.10 says, Therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. So there's a lot of these verses that talk about how you're not supposed to partake in someone else's sin or be a part of that whole world. And if someone is not obeying, that you're not supposed to have company with him. This is like in the Old Testament. So, the Amish say they practice shunning out of tough love in order to get a deviant person to see the error in his ways, change behavior, and reaffirm his commitment to the church. Without rules and shunning, the integrity of the Amish church would rapidly disintegrate. So, I think when we think of shunning, it's like someone is getting kicked out of the church, that you can never talk to them again, that you can never do anything like that. But really the way that the Amish presented at least, I don't know how it is in practice because I've never been to an Amish community. I don't know if this is exactly how it's implemented. But from the actual just description of the purpose and how they do it, it doesn't actually seem too bad. And let me explain. So I think non-denominational Christianity today like <clears throat> does the opposite of tough love where they think you can give so much grace and so much just you just can just overlook so much that really no one is convicted of anything if there's sin sin is kind of being whitewashed nowadays i feel so if someone is having sex outside of marriage like most christians will just I'm trying to think of this statement I'm trying to make is going to be true. I would say most Christians will not call someone else out for doing something wrong. Like, if you have sex outside of marriage or you are like, I don't know, there's a million ways to sin, lying all the time, something like that. A lot of Christians today will just kind of go along with it. They're too scared to say like, I don't know if that's biblically correct. I don't know if this is... Right, and I've fallen into this many times, and I'm, I'm sure I will in the future, but I like the fact that the Amish do have like a guide to daily living that is kind of a set of guidelines or whatever, and then if someone is living outside of that, like, I'm going to go live with my girlfriend before we're married and blah, 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 they would use this tough love to have the person see that this is not the correct way to act and that this is a sin. So in that way, I really like it. I can see how this could get a slippery slope into being like, 
you know, people being, oh, I'm better than you because I follow all these rules and you don't. It could become legalistic and things like that. But as long as there's no just literally kicking you out the door for making a mistake, I think that if not shunning, at least pointing out someone's sin or um, helping someone in that way is actually good. And the thing that is really convincing about that is because they say you can converse and offer assistance, but you're not just like blindly accepted back into the fold. They're like, okay, I'm going to help you. And I want you to recognize that this is probably not the best way to live because this is not what the Bible is saying. So this is a way to get you to recognize that there's a sin happening. So I don't know, it might be a little bit harsh, but the fact that people can converse and get help in the midst of this shunning, it's not just like you're getting kicked out of the church, plus the fact that they are having open discussions about this sin. And then you can also reconcile yourself and say you're recommitted to the church and they can help you get out of whatever sin that you are partaking in. Like all of that seems actually very biblical and good. So um, as long as the implementation of it isn't getting crazy, then it doesn't seem too bad. But the Breaking Amish show did make the shunning seem kind of crazy, although the the kids or the young adults that they showed in that show were really doing their best to like do all the rebellious things they could. So I don't know how much editing plays into it. I don't really trust reality TV, but it was kind of interesting to see like what shunning was like in real life. Um, okay, the Amish believe in adult baptism, so most uh, people get baptized between 18 and 22, sometime in there. A lot of Amish tend to get married pretty young, so, and we'll, we'll talk about the Rumspringa, I think it's called, uh, which is basically like you are an adult, so you don't have to live under the church's rules per se. You kind of have a lot more freedom to go explore things um, and just a lot less supervision. And a lot of people, that period of like possible rebellion, but mostly kind of finding what your actual beliefs are, that ends once you get married. And a lot of Amish tend to get married pretty young. So most people who are in the Amish community will come back and, you know, decide that they want to join the church, get baptized, and then join the church and get married around 18 to 22. Um, so I also agree with this adult baptism. And again, I've been saying that I'm going to do a baptism episode forever, but there are so many aspects that I have been looking at and stuff that just make it, make me delay the episode. Uh, cause it always seems like there's more information about it, but I do think I believe in adult baptism because you are making the choice that you yourself, your, like your faith is your own and you yourself are believing in Jesus. Um, they do not take communion very often. So like a lot of churches will take it once a week, like the Catholic and, you know, denominations similar to Catholics will take communion every week. Um, some non-denominationals like barely ever take it, but the Amish take it twice yearly. One of those is October 11th. It's a big holiday for the entire Amish community. It's a day of rest and fasting before they take communion. Uh, they have untrained ministers. So like in some, I was just talking to a guy on a plane and he was talking about 
Lutherans, I think. His son was training to be a Lutheran pastor. And for them, it takes like eight years or something to become a pastor because you have to go through four years of a certain kind of school and four years of some other seminary. And so they're very highly trained. For the Amish, it's a little different. They have very practical jobs. A lot of them are into agriculture and things like that. So there's just, there's no real need to have this like trained minister. That's just not where they put their value because like a lot of other Christians, they believe that you can kind of go straight to God. You can read the Bible, interpret it and talk to God. And so there's no like eight year training to be a minister. It's just anyone who is considered wise and a leader in the community can be a minister. They are big into foot washing practices. So this occurs during the communion services. It's always a part of the communion services where women will get in one room and men will get in another room and wash each other's feet as a symbol of service. So a lot of this is like community based because there's like such a small amount of Amish people, their community tends to be very tight knit and strong because they really rely on each other for a lot within their community. Okay, the Amish are also non-resistance, which non-resistance means no fighting in wars, no police forces, and cannot sue in a court of law. They also can't hold any sort of political office because they believe that that is um, resistance in a different way, which is like political resistance. So they don't want to sway anyone else to do anything or use violence of any sort, which holding political, political office in sort of a roundabout way could be interpreted as violence or resistance. This is rooted on the Sermon on the Mount uh, Bible verses or chunk of scripture, which talks about like turning the other cheek. You know, if someone slaps you, give them the other cheek to slap. If someone takes your coat, give them like your shirt off their back. Um, so it all is rooted in that Sermon on the Mount, which, well, let me get through the rest of these points and then I'll talk about my feelings about this. Okay. They do not necessarily condemn police and they are thankful they live in a country where they can practice their religion, but they are not to join the force. And this is where it gets sketchy. The Amish refused military service in World War One and World War Two because of their essentially pacifist um, views. So, and that is where I, I disagree. <laughs> so they, the Amish have been traditionally persecuted a lot because of their um, resistance to joining like the normal technology advances or joining society at large. So they've been persecuted in their history definitely before. But it says that they don't condemn the police and they're thankful to live in their country where they can practice their religion, but they're not to join the force. So they're kind of benefiting off of the police, the military. They're in a country where there is freedom for their religion. And yet, so they're, they're benefiting off of this and yet they will not contribute. And I definitely understand the like turn the other cheek argument, but God is also a God of justice and I just feel like when, you know, and maybe I'm completely wrong because maybe this is the correct opinion and that there should really be no violence ever. But the fact of the matter is, my opinion now is that 
there is going to be there is evil in the world and there's going to be violence from evil people doing evil things and so non-resistance sounds really amazing and very peaceful and stuff but there are very evil people doing very evil things in the world like for world war ii there is a genocide happening of jews and i don't think that jesus meant to not go and fight people and to turn the other cheek and just say yeah just keep murdering all the jews like that seems fine i don't think that's what jesus really meant so it is a little bit upsetting i would think to a lot of people that like even in the midst of a genocide in world war ii the Amish would refuse military service to go help people. Because sometimes this violence that they are opposed to is a means of helping people, of having justice, of stopping something completely evil. So if it's a force for good, I think there is a justification for violence. But they take the Sermon on the Mount extremely literally in all, uh, in all areas. And so they say to never go to war. So they will not go to war. Uh, okay, so technology. Amish don't believe that technology is evil inherently. A lot of their websites say that no, Amish do not believe technology itself is evil, but they argue that the unfettered use of technology can lead to evil. This is also an interesting debate because, yes, there is a lot of this stuff. Like, uh, this thing is not evil, but what this thing can lead to could be evil. I personally don't think that you should ban the use of something that could be used for good if it can be used for bad and evil as well. So for example, guns. Guns can be used for either good or evil. You don't want to give like a two-year-old a gun that's obviously going to be used poorly, but if you educate a grown person or a responsible teenager or whatever how to use a gun and then they can either choose to use it for good or evil you teach them that you can they can use it for good that's what they want to use it for that can be a really great thing for society as a whole so in that same argument the Amish don't believe that technology is evil but if you if there's an unfettered use then it can lead to evil personally again like I don't think that banning technology is necessarily the answer because a lot of these people who are this dedicated to God and to their lifestyle and things like that could probably make a huge impact in society using technology but because they think that the unfettered use of it can lead to evil they just ban it altogether and I think it it is limiting their reach and the gospel's reach so kind of disagree with them there, but it is lo good logic, I guess, that because that can lead to evil, they're just banning it from the beginning. Okay, so separation from the world and culture. Like I said, they're pretty secluded from a lot of mainstream culture, and they quote the Romans 12, 2 verse, do not be conformed to this world, but be re renewed or but renew your mind. I didn't write the entire quote there, but you know the verse. Um, so that is the separation from the world. Do not be conformed to this world. That is their justification for living such separate lives. 
Um, and then this is where I talked about the rumspringum. It says there is one part of being in the world or a period of someone's life where they are more in the world or conform to the world called a rumspringum. Part of it's the part of an Amish child or teenager's life where they have way more freedom. They can buy a car if they want. They can wear non-Amish clothes. They can basically have a taste of what the world has to offer if they would like. Now, some people think that the Rumspringa is always like this wild, crazy, rebellious time with like drugs and alcohol and all this stuff. A lot of people, it's not like that. If you're in a more tame community of like Amish teens, a lot of times it just means like more dating with a little bit more freedom. Um, and again, it's in that like 18 to 22 year old phase of life. So after this time, which is a little bit different for everyone, there's no like set time, but um, there's definitely a, a portion for a few years there where there's more freedom. But after this time, they can come decide if they want to return to the church or not, and they get baptized. So again, this is where they get baptized after the Rome Spring, after they've seen other things in the world and they have made the choice for themselves that they want to be part of the church and that they are accepting Jesus and they want to be baptized. So it says in some communities, they are very wild and rebellious, but most of the time it's just mildly less supervised. Okay, most do not believe, most Amish do not believe in the assurance of salvation, but more of a living hope of salvation, which I guess that is a tenet of Christianity that is different from like non-denominational Christians is most non-denominational. Oh my gosh, why can I not say that today? Most non-denominational Christians believe in the assurance of salvation, not just a hope of salvation, and Amish believe in a hope of salvation. They're very strict about the Sabbath day, day of rest. They'll take Sundays off, but, you know, a lot of them are in agricultural fields, so they still need to, you know, feed animals, milk cows, things like that around the farm, but they just do the necessary amount of work and then have a pretty strict day of rest. It's not as strict as um, Jewish Judaism uh, because, you know, we've talked about like on the Sabbath for Judaism, you can't turn on a light, you can't do these certain things. So they have to do a lot of prep before their day of rest. Whereas the Amish will still like feed their animals, milk cows, all that kind of thing, but then anything that's not necessary, they try not to do. Okay, here's an interesting thing too. Most Amish people do not buy insurance through like a typical insurance company. Instead, they believe in community reliance. So let's say someone falls off their horse or whatever, has a farm accident and has to go to the hospital. They can go to the hospital or get treated or whatever, and then there's gonna be a medical bill. Instead of having insurance that it goes through they just take the like out-of-pocket expense and then the entire community pitches in and pays medical expenses for anyone in the uh, community which there is actually a christian organization that does this as well that i've heard about and i really want to look into because again like you go to the hospital you don't have a typical insurance so you just say i'm going to do out-of-pocket which is typically much less money and then there's this group of Christians that are paying into this fund, kind of like insurance, but then if someone goes to the hospital or has some sort of health issue, they pull from that pool of money. So it's not like typical insurance. So I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. 
Okay, how do Mennonites differ? So Mennonites are pretty much Amish, like most of the things they believe are uh, very, very similar to the Amish. The major difference is that the Mennonites are more accepting of technology for the most part. So they can drive cars, they can use phones, they can run a grocery store that has electricity. So the whole like resistance to technological change isn't quite there like the Amish. So they dress plain or tend to, but again, there's a spectrum within their dress. They sometimes rely on horse and buggy, although some drive cars. They have agricultural heritage like the Amish and many of them maintain small labor-intensive farms. Most or a vast majority speak Pennsylvania Dutch. They Some communities of Mennonites will shun, but they tend to be a lot more lenient than the Amish usually. So it's not like full shunning. And, so, and some Mennonites have um, have really uh, denounced shunning altogether. But when I'm talking about these la things, uh, these apply to old order Mennonites. So old order Mennonites are pretty much Amish. So they are the most plain to dress. They have horse and buggy, you know, have farms, Pennsylvania Dutch, they'll shun sometimes. Um, sometimes the Mennonites and Amish will run parochial schools jointly because they're so similar. And then the differences are old order Mennonites, even old order, which is like they're still dressing in very plain dresses and they're still using a horse and buggy. Old order Mennonites will still allow electricity and telephones in the home and can use tractors on their farms. And then old order Mennonites tend to worship in meeting houses, like they'll have a standalone church or meeting house and Amish tend to home worship and go to someone else's house or host a sort of church in their own home. Okay, so conservative Mennonites are another kind of split off of old order Mennonites. So think old order is more traditional Mennonite. Conservative Mennonites are I would think more modern. So these are the ones that use cars and sometimes have plain coverings on a woman's head, but then have more plain clothes. They still have like plain cars. They tend to drive darker cars. Um, and this is, I think, the category that the store that we go to falls into because a lot of them have like kind of more hip skirts and leggings and stuff and just regular shirts, but they have like a light head covering. I'm pretty sure most of the people running this store are conservative Mennonites. I don't see any horse and buggies, you know, in the middle of Michigan. So they're all driving cars. And so that seems to fit the bill of conservative Mennonites. An old order Mennonite probably wouldn't run a store because they um, tend to not drive cars and they're more into farming and things like that. Old order Mennonites, I think, are mostly in Pennsylvania. Okay, so holidays, neither one of um, the Amish or Mennonite really celebrate like 4th of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day, or Halloween. Anything that's like a patriotic holiday, they don't really celebrate because of, um, you know, they don't like the resistance, so, like anything they got from winning a war or um, any sort of violence, they don't tend to celebrate. October 11th is a holiday for them uh, that is not really celebrated by the world 
at large outside of these communities. And that is that communion day. It's a feast day of St. Michael, I believe. So um, they use that as a communion day. All right, similarities between, I said that weird, similarities between Amish and Mennonites. They both emerged from similar cultures and religious heritage. The Amish actually split off from the Mennonites in the 17th century because the Mennonites were starting to liberalize their trends. Again, like as technology started developing, the Mennonites were fine with it for the most part. The Amish was a group that split off from them because they were not comfortable with the uh, technological advances. Practices varies, but both Amish and Mennonites share values of non-resistance, adult baptism, and plain clothing most often. Okay, so then I want to talk about some split-off versions of each one of these. So the Amish, there is a kind of offshoot group that began in 1927 under Bishop Moses Beachy, which is called the Beachy Amish. And they actually split off over the issue of social shunning. So they no longer socially shun. And this is interesting (laughs) because some Mennonites shun, some don't. And now I learned that some Amish shun and some don't. But it's a very specific offshoot group that doesn't shun. Most other groups do still use shunning to varying degrees. But the beachy Amish do not think that this is a good... um, like a good practice to continue so they had a big kind of fallout over shunning but every single other tenant of the Amish faith is pretty much the exact same the other thing is some of the beachy Amish actually do accept cars and computers and so some of them consider like some people consider them to not even be Amish they consider them to be Mennonite So it gets very, very gray. The whole point of this is that there it gets very gray between Amish and Mennonites because there's like varying groups within each classification and some are so far off of the maybe standard or publicized beliefs that the lines are blurred between if they're even Amish or Mennonite because they came from such a similar background and have such similar beliefs in most things even a little bit of difference theologically can kind of put them more into the other category. So using cars and computers can really make you considered a Mennonite by some people. Whereas, you know, some of the other things that Mennonites do that Amish don't, you know, they're kind of a middle ground group. Okay, then the other offshoot of Mennonites that I wanted to cover was modern Mennonites. So there's a wide range of churches throughout the uh, Mennonite. Wait, there are a wide range of churches throughout the million Mennonites in the world. Many Mennonites are no different in dress and lifestyle than anyone else. They dress like how they dress is modern. They have cars, they use internet, they use technology. So we were talking about, um, conservative Mennonites. Typically conservative Mennonites, as I was saying before, still have plain clothes, still have coverings on a woman's head and try to just fly under the radar a little bit, like still do everything plain or have dresses. They're still kind of dressed like what you would think an Amish would be dressed as. Then there's a whole other thing, which is even more modern called modern Mennonites, which they could dress exactly like me and you and just be out. And from the look of it, they are literally no different than anyone else. 
There are now multiple Mennonite higher institutions that kind of cater towards these more modern Mennonites. So they are Goshen College in Indiana and the Eastern Mennonite University in Virginia are a couple of examples. So modern Mennonites tend to have more of an emphasis on education, whereas even conservative Mennonites or old order Mennonites don't tend to have like an emphasis on getting an actual education. It's more practical, real world, like agriculture, you know, start contributing to the community sort of uh, ideas. Mennonites exhibit a mission-oriented approach, which tends to take them all over. So they'll travel a lot. Obviously, you pretty much have to use technology now to travel. And so this kind of goes with that, that Mennonites tend to travel more than the Amish in uh, their mission approach. So Mennonites will fly or take boats or whatever, go to other countries, across seas, things like that, to spread the gospel, whereas the Amish tend to focus more on charitable efforts closer to home because they are limited a lot by the lack of technology. But overall, Mennonites and Amish have very, very similar beliefs. There is like a sliding scale between Amish and Mennonite. 99% of their beliefs are pretty much the same. And there's some tenets that are a little bit different between the two groups. Like non-denominational or like Christianity, I was interested to see that like Even the Amish and Mennonites have offshoots of their groups. There's different, essentially, denominations of each group. I think that's just human nature to, like, form a group, say, hey, we're the Amish. And then there's uh, an issue on, you know, one of the tenets of the beliefs and a whole group shoots off and creates their own group. We've seen that so many times with other offshoots of Christianity. You know, there's, like, Catholics, Lutherans, non-denominational Baptists, like there's a million denominations. And even in these very like much smaller communities of Amish and Mennonites, there's still these offshoot groups that disagree on a few tenants and make their own little community. So that is the Amish and the Mennonites. I hope you guys learned a lot. I know I did. And I just think that they are very fascinating. Like I think it takes a, a lot of guts to live so secluded and just say, no, no, this is what I believe. This is how I believe we should live. And you are fully committing to that belief system. So I know that, you know, some Amish kids, especially like will sneak phones or sneak radios or things like that. And maybe they're not full send yet, but for most of the Amish communities and most of the Mennonite communities, they are dressing plainly. They're dressing in these dresses. They have head coverings. They are committed to their belief. And I can definitely respect that. So It was great to learn about, and if you ever happen by an an Amish grocery store or a Mennonite grocery store, I highly recommend you to shop there because they just seem to have the best stuff. Their spices are out of this world, and you get so much for so little money. So anyway, that is Amish and the Mennonite. I hope you guys all learned a ton, and I will see you on Thursday for our Bible episode. Bye, everyone.